which is, which is a good thing. Um, this morning as I was getting up, I was like, oh man, why? But it was, after two minutes, it got exciting. At five in the morning, it was not exciting, but after a few minutes, it got a little bit exciting. Once I had some coffee in me, it's like, yes, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Um, okay, good morning. This morning, we uh, will be getting back into the series that we have started the first of the year, and the series is The Jesus That We Know and Love by going through the book of Luke. We, we go through the book of Luke to learn more about Jesus together as a church. Uh, through, through this book, through Luke, and actually we chose Luke, but through any Gospels, we will learn more about uh, his te- Jesus, his teaching, who he was, or more accurately, who he is, and, uh, and who, this, who is this Jesus that we sing to, that we, that we love, that we live for, that we teach our kids about, and that we, that we um, make life decisions for. You know, just like some of the songs that we were singing earlier in terms of uh, sinking deep, you know, wanting to know more of who he is, wanting to know what, what he has done and his love for us. And going, and going through this book of Luke will help us as a church together to learn more of who he is. Uh, you know, the reason for this, and as I was saying, is the more we know about Jesus and the kingdom that we belong to, uh, the better we will be able to deal with our daily um, obstacles, our daily struggles, and how to resolve conflicts by the things that Jesus has taught us. And through knowing more about Jesus, we will have the answers to the problems that we face, whether it is personally, professionally, or relationally. Uh, also, you know, the more we know about Jesus, the better it will be for us to share with others. And, uh, you know, I say this all the time, but it's better to share from the place of knowledge, the place of personal relationship versus regurgitating the things that you see uh, or you hear on Sunday or the, the things that you read in the book. Um, and, and, you know, the opportunity will, uh, will come up a lot, whether it's with our families or friends or neighbors or strangers. And it's good to be able to draw from that place, that, that place of knowledge. Uh, as a reminder, we get to know Jesus through two ways. I know I say this every Sunday when I'm up here, but I want to repeat this for them. We all will know this. There's two, two, two ways to get to know Jesus. One is to, through scriptures, and number two is spending time with God. Those two have to go hand in hand together. Uh, they are equally important. You know, the st- spending time with God um, doesn't have to be like sitting in a quiet room. It can be, but it can also be doing the things that we enjoy like sitting in a coffee shop, running, uh, cooking, or cleaning, or listening to worship music. So that's when God wants to break in and he wants to spend time with us. You know, for me, I use the example of uh, when I'm commuting, whether I'm on a train or when I'm biking, that's when I use that time to really try to hear from God and spending time with him because we know that we are really busy, right? And, you know, it seems like, oh, taking a chunk of time out to spend time with God, it doesn't have to be like an extra half an hour somewhere that you have to spend time with God. You can use that. You can, we can do that while we're doing the things that we enjoy throughout our daily activities. So when we do both of those things together, um, you know, the, the, the worries or the problems that we face won't seem as complicated or will not seem as big or as, um, uh, as, as big as they that's we tend to make them out to be. And you know, as we come to know God more, which must include hearing God, you know, our lives will come into focus. We will have um, more wisdom, more confidence, and more security in knowing who we are, why we're here, 
and where are we going? You know, why are we here for this season, for this time, for this place? So anyway, so if we have, in general, you know, if we have uh, too many problems and conflicts and drama in our lives, reading scriptures and spending time with God will be the most simplistic answer to help resolve the things that we're going through. So anyway, I know I've been saying that pretty much every Sunday, but I felt that it's necessary and it's important to repeat that for us all to know that there's two ways to get to know God, and we all can do this. It doesn't, have, it doesn't take a seminary background to get to know God. Uh, so with that, let's get back into Luke. We are now on Luke chapter 23. We only have one more chapter left. There are 24 chapters in Luke. We are almost reaching the end of this book. However, I view it as we're almost reaching the climax of why Jesus came to earth in human form, in a human body. Uh, I trust that everyone has been following along um, to learn more about Jesus. I know I have as I, you know, I get more into the book of Luke and, and seeing things that I actually didn't really see or notice before as I study scripture. Uh, obviously, we, this morning, we will not be able, to, be able to go through the whole chapter verse by verse. Um, but I want to encourage everyone to read this chapter during your own, on your own time. Uh, Luke 23, the majority of this book is about the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the burial of, of Jesus. Uh, this morning, I want uh, for us to take a little bit of time to go deeper into the three things that I feel is important in this chapter, which is how did he die, why did he die, and for whom did he die? So let's jump right in. How did he die? Jesus, um, I think most of us have seen the movie The Passion of Christ, I think, right? For those who haven't, it was a, a long, prolonged, and extremely painful death. Um, the, the timeline, as we, as we study scripture, is roughly, you know, Jesus was praying at midnight, and he was betrayed by one of his disciples early in the morning, and then they took him to tryout. So the actual uh, punishment, so to speak, so the, 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 the whipping or the flogging starts at 8 in the morning. So it went from 8 to 9, roughly, just a rough timeline. 8 to 9 is when the flogging happened. From 9 to noon was when Jesus had to carry the cross from where he was to where he's going to get crucified, and from noon to 3 p.m., roughly is how long he hung on the, on the cross. So I just want to give us some brief timeline of what happened on that day. Um, but what I wanted to talk a little bit more about how he died was about how courageous and how painful it was for, for Jesus to show his love for us. And it's something that I know we sing about, but I don't, I don't know if any one of us can fully understand the love that he has for us because if we think about it, Jesus knowingly, he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he went and did it willingly for us. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us, for many, many people. Us, when I say us, I don't mean just the people sitting here, but for us, for the people who are sitting out there, for the people who don't know him, for the people who actually make fun of him, uh, insulting him. He did it for everyone, for all of us. So that's when I say courageous. It takes a lot of courage to be able to do those things, and it takes incredible love to do that for people, knowing that there are people who will never, never, ever accept you. So that's a courageous strength and a love that we possibly can never understand. Um, and, and, you know, to know, like, why and what he went through, because 
to know what you have to do versus actually going through it are two different things, right? Maybe I'm preaching to myself. Um, so you know, just talk a little briefly, I, I share this already, but I wanted to talk about, uh, again, about the actual flogging. You know, the reason that there's a flogging before the crucifixion is because um, the Romans wanted to have you um, cut up with many wounds so when you're hanging up on the cross, as you're rubbing up against the cross, it will aggravate the, the, the injuries that you have. Uh, the Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected crucifixion. So the whipping is, um, they're using a whip with many leather thongs, and at the end of the leather thong, they had two small balls. So the, the leather thong is to cut your skin, and the metal balls is to cause further damage. The tradition for the Roman tradition with the flogging prior to the, to the crucifixion is the cent centurion overseeing this flogging will stop when he sees that the prisoner is near death. You do not want to kill the prisoner, but you want to get to the point where you see that that person is near death. So it could range anywhere from 30 lashes to 50 lashes, or it could be 100. Most likely it will never get to 100 because you probably would die way before that. Um, and, and also we know that you know, the, the, uh, the Roman soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head just to make fun of him, but reality, what it was is it was digging into his head to cause further damage and to cause further loss of blood prior to the crucifixion. The reason that they perfected the crucifixion is because they have, the Romans perfected the crucifixion because they come up with a way to cause a lot of damage to your body prior to the main event, so to speak. Um, and to also to understand what he had to go through before he was crucified. He actually had to carry the cross roughly 650 yards. 650 yards is roughly seven and a half city blocks. So, and the cross is about 300 pounds that he has to carry that. You know, in scripture, they grab someone else to carry the cross part of the way for him. But just imagine, you get whipped until you're near death. Then you gotta carry the cross. Knowing that you're carrying the cross, eventually they're gonna hang you on the cross. So seven and a half blocks, carrying 300, dragging a 300 pounds cross. And then as you get to where you get supposed to be crucified, that's when the actual serious damage will begin. Um, you know, the, they would nail, I, seen, I think we've seen some of the pictures, the nail would go through both his feet, toes pointing down, there's one nail for your, on your feet, and then each nail on each of your wrists. The reason they do that is, again, to cause more blood loss as the nails go through each wrist, and also to cause you to hang on the, on the cross. And as you're hanging, you know, the, the thing that's, if possible, even more painful is the breathing, because they want to slowly slowly cause you to die from, um, from not being able to breathe. It's not because of the pain. It's not because you, you're not able to breathe. And as you, as you hang out on the cross, you know, um, me, um, medicine expert, medical experts have said that, that the reason that it's so painful is because as you hang out on the cross, you're not able to breathe. So anytime you need to breathe, you gotta lift yourself up to take a breath. And then you got to excel. But because it's so difficult to lift yourself up to take a breath, you just kind of hang there. And then the carbon dioxide is in your lungs, and it's slowly, slowly causing you to die from that. 
in itself. But anyway, so I just wanted to talk about the physical pains that he went through because I think sometimes we, we don't put enough um, thoughts or, or not fully understand what it meant when Jesus went to the cross for us. You know, we may say it, but not fully understand the physical pain that he went through. And, you know, as, as we understand the details, I think we will come to appreciate his, uh, I, I think appreciate a small glimpse of his mighty love for us, that he did it knowing what's going to happen, and he willingly did it for us. And I have not even talked about I have not even talked about the mental anguish that comes from knowing also that you are being betrayed by one of your closest disciples prior to that. So, um, so there's a lot of things that's going on, but he knew all these things, and he did it anyway. He did it because he wanted to do it for us. And that's why a lot of time when you sing about the song that his love for us, I think as we think back to the cross, think back that he knew what happened, he went willingly and what he had to go through, then we can get a glimpse of the love that Jesus Christ has for all of us. Uh, the next thing that I felt from this chapter that's good for us to focus a little bit on is uh, why he did it. Most of us know this, but I think it's always worth repeating. It's Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for all of us so we can stand before the Heavenly Father, the creator of all things in the universe. Right? Why, who, why do we need Jesus' death as a sacrifice in order to stand before God? The reason Jesus has to die and be the sacrifice for us because you know, we know that God, the heavenly God, the God that we worship, the God that is worthy of us worshiping, he is a perfect God. He created all things, right? Even time itself. So he's not just a moon god or the sun god or the god of nature or the god of war or the god of whoever. He is the one true God who created everything that we see, that we know. So because of that, he is perfect. He is perfection. And he's so amazing beyond anything we can possibly imagine or comprehend or understand or make up. Therefore, we cannot stand before our Father on our own righteousness because we all have sinned. Or another way to say it is we have all done something not righteous. The biblical answer is because we all came from Adam and Eve whom sinned when they disobeyed God. Right? But the practical answer is even, you know, I think I can say this for everybody. So I think for all of us, each of us, even all of us have had, have, have tell, told, talk with you told a little white lie, right? Even when we were a little kid, you kind of say things to get a little treat. You, uh, or as we grow up, we, we may not uh, intentionally don't tell the whole truth, or we may show favoritism to other people. So those things is a sin. When we do those things, it's a sin, and it's something that's not righteous. And before God, before the perfect God, he will not tolerate anything, even a small, petite, minor blemish. And that's why we cannot stand before God on our own righteousness, but we can stand before God through our faith in Jesus, through our faith in Jesus' sacrifice. So as we believe in Jesus and accept him as our Lord and Savior, we can stand before our perfect Heavenly Father because we're covered or we're cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus because Jesus is perfect. He was perfect and he lived a perfect life and he died as a perfect sacrifice for us, 
for us. And when, when we believe in Jesus and we stand before the Father, he will only see the perfection and the sinlessness of Jesus, the one whom he loves and is well pleased. We know that, right? And this is how our Heavenly Father will see us through our faith in Jesus when we are in his presence. So when we accept his death as a sacrifice for us and fully understand the implication of his death, and when we have Jesus in our lives, in our hearts, not only can we stand before our God, but all the things that we have said will be forgiven. And I think, you know, on one of the songs that we sang, the lyrics is like, everything will be forgiven. Our sins will be remembered no more. God will remember our sins no more. And they will be forgiven forever. Just think about that. A God who knows all things, transcends time, will intentionally forget all the things that we have done through Jesus. As God said so himself, right? I will remember your sins no more in Hebrews 8, verse 12. So through Jesus. So go back to Jesus. Jesus died a perfect sacrifice once and for all time, for all people throughout all time. We need to remember that all time, past, present, and future. And the reason that only Jesus can be the perfect sacrifice because he lived a sinless life. Not even one, one not even one little white lie. Because otherwise his death would be a sacrifice for himself. If he committed just one little lie, one little white lie. And the reason the sacrifice has to be perfect we know that is from Leviticus 20 when God said, do not bring anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. That's why Jesus had to live a perfect life so his sacrifice can be effective, can be accepted because it was not a defect sacrifice. Jesus was perfect. So the act of sacrifice is, you know, we, we talked about this, and I think sometimes we feel like it's difficult to explain what sacrifice means to other people, but the act of sacrifice is actually very common. It's not unique to just Christianity or the Jewish traditions. It is a common practice among all traditions and all cultures. However, the main difference, and I believe the main difference between Jesus' sacrifice and his death on the cross is that he willingly himself became the sacrificial lamb so all people can, can gain access through his sacrifice. His sacrifice is different than, than all the other sacrifices because the other people, when they sacrifice something, they don't sacrifice themselves. They sacrifice something or someone else. They, when, they do this, when they sacrifice something or someone else, they usually want something from God. You know, such as they, they sacrifice a person or an animal because they're looking for victory in war, right? They, they want rain or the, the rain dance or they want help with agriculture or they want financial success or admitting guilt. So they don't actually sacrifice themselves. And also, the sacrifices are conditional. Their sacrifices are conditional and they need to be repeated. Whereas because Jesus lived a perfect, perfect life, and a sinless life, his death was a perfect sacrifice. And his death was a perfect sacrifice once and for all. We know that from 1 Peter verse, chapter 3, verse 18, it said, for Christ died for sins once and for all. And it is important to, to point out that Jesus' death and suffering, it was not a victim of circumstances. It's not because, so he would have lived if Judas didn't betray him. 
Jesus was in control. And also, you know, as I was studying this, it even increased my understanding of his, his love for us. Not fully understand it, but just gave me an, a better understanding like, of how much he loves us because he was in control, knowing what was going to happen, able to stop it, but he willingly went through with it because he said in John 10, verse 17 and 18, no one takes it from me. He's talking about his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So if we read this verse and fully understand, he's in control the whole time. He's allowing this to happen, knowing what's going to happen, and willingly went through it. That's how incredible his love is for us. And lastly, we, uh, as, as you get a chance, if you haven't yet, but when you get a chance to read Luke 23, in the end, they talk about Jesus. Um, Joseph purchased a, a, a cave, a tomb, so, uh, so to speak, and then bury Jesus. Lastly, Jesus' burial indicates the actual death. He actually died, physically died, which was witnessed by many people. So this means that it was an acceptable sacrifice because he lived a perfect life and he died and he offered up his life as a sacrifice and it was accepted. And you know, another proof that um, we hear this a lot, I think we hear this a lot, it's about the curtain that is separating God's presence from other other people uh, within the, the temple, you know, the, how it goes is because God is so holy, no one else can enter into His presence, and there's a curtain that separates uh, God's presence from everyone else, and only the chief priests were able to enter into God's presence just once a year, not just once a week, once a year. So this curtain is torn from top to bottom, and I think you know some of us have heard this before, but. To practically understand and visualize this, I, I think it's pretty amazing. So the curtain itself is 60 feet high. I don't, I don't know if you guys knew, the 60 feet high is roughly equivalent of six stories building. So if anyone can, talk, can tell anything 60 feet high from the top down, not from the bottom up. And not only that, it's four inches thick. So it's it's, I don't think it was humanly possible to tore this veil, this, uh, the, 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 tore the curtain in half from the top to bottom. So, so I think that in itself is probably proof enough to know that the, the sacrifice was an acceptable, acceptable sacrifice because now God's presence is not just to the chief priest once a year, but is available to all of us because of Jesus' sacrifice. Through Jesus, we can all now enter into God's presence. Anytime, anywhere, at all time. That's why when I say, even when I'm biking, I can enter into God's presence as I'm getting to work or when we listen to music because God wants to be with us. And earlier this, um, this morning when we were praying and, and, and Megan prayed that uh, not only do we want to be in his presence, but he wants to be in our presence. So that's how amazing it is. Not only do we feel like we need to be in God's presence, He wants to be with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to spend time with us. That's how amazing He is. So anyway, Jesus died as a sacrifice for all of us. And it's important to know that His sacrifice was accepted. So for whom did He die? You know, He died for all people. 
we talked a lot about all oh, people, but I think sometimes, you know, because of it's human nature, sometimes we get a little bit, bit uh, biased in terms of, of, well, those guys are way too bad. They probably don't deserve it. That is true. <laughs> Not for us, but for Jesus. He died for everyone. He died for all people. Black, white, brown, red, tall, short, strong, weak, smart, not so smart. The fast, the slow, the big, the, the good, the bad, the evil people. He died for all people. Because, you know, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live should never longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Who wants God, want God? Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? And in verse 6, it said, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And also the verse that we see all the time in stadiums across America, everywhere that you go, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever... Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I think John 3.17 is just as important as John 3.16 because God died for us. He sent his son for us. But it's also to save it, save the world through Jesus, not to condemn him. So Jesus died for all, but only some will believe. And that's Add that to the fact of how incredible it is that is his love for us. He went through all the things that we, we talked about earlier, knowing that some people would not accept his love and his sacrifice. The perfect example was in um, Luke 23. Um, there were two criminals who were crucified with him. One insulted him right before they died. But the other one accepted just punishment, so to speak, right? That's the love that's beyond our understanding, knowing that you're doing these things and probably half of the people would reject you and insult you and make fun of you. That's the love that, that, that Jesus has for us. And I think sometimes we, as I said earlier, we talk about his love for us, his mighty love for us, but to fully understand that not only Jesus... I like to use the term, you know, he talked the talk, but he walked the walk because he went through the process of dying for us. What summed up best, at least for me, is in Romans 5, verse 7 and 8. So very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone may possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ die for us yes he did Jesus knowingly and willingly died died for the criminal who insulted him he knew that they would not he knew that that criminal would not accept him but he knowingly and willingly went through that for that criminal you know also we can we can also see a glimpse of the extent of his love for us when we see that Jesus gave assurance to the one criminal who believed in Jesus. Uh, for those of you who haven't got a chance to read Luke 23, so what happened, there was two criminals that were crucified with Jesus. One said, hey, was making fun of Jesus. Well, if you're really son of God, save us now. But the other one was saying, hey, we are justly punished, but this person is not. And he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me 
when you go into your kingdom. So Jesus, as he hung on the cross after three hours, barely alive, but he took the time and an effort. And as I would imagine, he would pull himself up to take a breath so he can say to the criminal next to him, truly I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. That's the mighty love that he has for his people. Because as he was dying, he took the time and the effort to reassure the criminal that you believe you're coming with me. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Because as we go through the description and the details, you know, any utterance or speech from Jesus would have been extremely painful, right? For him to pull himself up, take a deep breath, and speak and breathe out. But he still made the effort to make sure that the, the, the person next to him understood that you are coming with me to paradise because of your belief in who I am. And we know that that was the next to the last thing that Jesus said. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But so I, I feel like John said it best when the last thing he said was, it is finished. It is finished. The sacrifice is complete. It is finished. In John uh, 10 verse 30. And that's the mighty, incredible love of Jesus. And I feel that as we are, we're coming toward the end, we're getting closer and closer to the climax. You know, what, what can we learn from this chapter? That Jesus was sent by his heavenly father to live a perfect life so he can be the perfect sacrifice for all people everywhere throughout all time. You know, even non-believers, non-believers, the centurion, uh, if you read Luke 23, the centurion saw what happened and he even admitted that this, surely this was a righteous man. In uh, the gospel of Mark and Matthew, the centurion says, surely this must be the son of God. To fully understand what, what that, why Luke included that, we need to look at the centurion. He's a professional officer for the Roman army. He has no stake in Jesus being crucified. He's not a follower of Jesus. He has nothing to gain. And he has witnessed many, many crucifixions. But this one stood out for him to be able to recognize this is a remarkable man. Something happened. This is not just anyone being crucified. This must be the Son of God. You know, he lived, Jesus lived a sinful, not sinful, sinless life and died for all of us. And you know, his life and death was witnessed by many people. It was, um, I think we had dinner with these guys and, and we talked about someone still thought that Jesus never existed. But that's beyond debate. He existed. He lived and he existed. We can see that from you know, many witnesses in this story. However, uh, some of you may or may not know, roughly 10 years ago, there was a group of historians that gathered together to talk about whether Jesus existed or not. It was called the Jesus Project. And um, it was everyone, the consensus was Jesus did exist, but I want to point out that um, if so just for you guys to look it up and talk to people, that two of the most prominent historians that argue for the existence of Jesus, they were atheists. The name were Maurice Casey and Bart Ehrman. So it, I say that, I include that just to say that people in general 
believe that Jesus existed. They don't deny the existence of Jesus. What they try to do is they deny the, 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 the godliness of who Jesus is, that deny that he is the son of God and the holiness of who he is. And the next thing um, in this chapter that I, I just felt that it was good for us to, to have a better understanding is, is that Jesus died knowing that not all would believe in him. You know, the, example, the perfect example was from the two criminals. One believed in him, one didn't. It doesn't matter. That's how much he loved us. He knew that was going to happen, but he willingly went through the most prolonged and painful death known to man at the time. So then all people will have the opportunity to have eternal life. Even though he was doing that, knowing that some of those people will reject him and will insult him. But he did it anyway, because he was sent by our Heavenly Father to live a perfect life and be the perfect sacrifice for all of us, everywhere, throughout all time. And as I said earlier, you know, he died so we can gain eternal life and be in the presence of our Heavenly Father the creator of all things. So we only need to acknowledge that Jesus died for our sins and accept that he is the son of God, our savior. You know, we don't have to, to live a better life before we accept him. We can just accept him for who we are and where we're at and, stand, and be able to stand before the father. And I'm really excited as we're coming to a close for Luke 23 that uh, in two weeks, we're gonna talk about Luke 24. And I feel like that's the climax I feel like that's the, the, the main reason, the resurrection. That's the main reason what separate Jesus from all the other false gods and quote-unquote false prophets. Because when he came back, his last miraculous act, if I can say that, no one can mimic, can repeat, or copy it. People may try to downplay that he existed, as I said earlier, but they cannot downplay the fact that he came back from the death from the dead, not just dying for two minutes and then come back alive, not just dying for a few hours, for three days, and he came back in bodily form, not just in a spiritual form, because if someone come back in a spiritual form, we can always say, well, you are imagining things, but he came back in an actual physical form, so there's no denying that he came back alive after he's being witnessed by many people that he actually died and buried. So that's what we are looking forward to next week, and I feel that's the climax of Luke 24. And hopefully by going through this book, we will have a much better understanding and, and knowledge who Jesus is, who he was, and his mighty love for us, and why, why we sing to him. And you know, when we say we love you and he loves us, going through this book of Luke will give us a better understanding of, understanding of his love for us. And... Um, Anyway, that's what I have. I, um, I just felt like I was hoping or maybe trusting that we would have some visitors today. I mean, 